0: We read together to remind us of where we are going. That is towards Jesus, allowing the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to Him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Matthew. If you're just joining us, uh, one of the pastors here, it's a joy to have you in the room and watching online. If you have a copy of Scripture, will you join me? 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to get there here in just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, at the beginning of the week, we had uh, several people come in and help decorate this space for Christmas. Doesn't look good? I love Christmas. So for those who came and helped, thanks so much for that. Uh, it's, it's just, I love this time of year. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, because we get to talk just more about Jesus, right? Like this is what we do. We just talk about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. And uh, we're doing the same here uh, today. But, and we began last Sunday a kind of a new collection of messages all about the practice of Scripture and specifically reading the Scripture, studying the Scripture. And we've kind of got this thesis statement, if you will, this main goal over the next few weeks. Here's kind of what we're wanting to do. We want to understand that loving God with all of our mind is growing in our own understanding and knowledge of Him through the practice of studying and reading Scripture. This year, we've been looking at the five practices, spiritual practices, that we can do to grow in our love, our fidelity, our faith, our allegiance to Jesus. These, these five were loving God with all of our heart. That's our worship, why we sing, why we lift our hands, our our worship, it's loving God with all of our heart. Loving him with all of our soul is the practice of prayer. Praying and talking with the Lord. Prayer is like breath in our lungs for the spiritual life. Our, our worship, our prayer. Loving God with all of our mind is studying scripture we're talking about. Um, loving God with all of our strength is when we walk out Obedience. It's about submitting our will to God's will. It's about not our will, but your will, Lord. It's it's about walking in obedience. Faith is not just an abstract set of doctrines. Faith is not just this emotional feeling we get. Faith is anchored to actions that we take. And those actions that we take are in our obedience to walking in the way of Jesus, our master, our savior, our king. It's we're walking in those ways, so our obedience. And then uh, we spent a lot of time recently talking about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. this practice of hospitality. These five ways are ways that we, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we are going to say that, that we are people who are after Jesus, if we're going to say that we're Christians, these five things are, are embedded into the rhythm, the routines, the practices of our life and and that's not to be legalistic i've been accused of many things but legalistic is probably not one of them um, but i do believe friends hear me hear, hear my heart on this that if we are not people who are in god's word Come on, who are reading it studying it know what it says i think we have a false claim to say that we're the people of god To claim I'm a Christian, but to not know the God of the scriptures, through the scriptures, to not know what they say, is to be a gross misrepresentation of that word that we claim. Now, that sounds harsh. That sounds really strong. That might not sit well. It doesn't sit well in me either. But it does reorient my mind and my thought to recognize wait a second, I'm here to pursue him. And the main way that we have an avenue to get to know God is through his scriptures. To know what it says and what it doesn't say. To, to know what it means and what it doesn't mean. To, to get into this book and understand the God who authored it speaks life to us today. And to grow in our knowledge, not just of facts, but of a person. To grow in our knowledge and to grow in a relationship with This God whom we have pledged and professed our heart and our allegiance and our devotion towards. And so when we understand the Bible, when we discover it, when we read it, when we grab a hold of it, we are growing in the knowledge, in this intellect, in the mind. God gave you your mind. He gave you your intellect. It's a gift from him, part of the creation that we have. Some of us use it better than others. It's true. But we all want to grow in just our knowledge and our understanding of what God is saying to us. I want to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Now, these references, the, the Scriptures are going to be on the screen so that you can kind of just follow along. If you have your phone with you, you can go to faithchurchks.org and read the Scriptures and even take some notes and email them back to yourself at the end of our time together. Um, if you would like to follow along, you can do that there as well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says this. Remind everyone about these things and command them, what strong language, in God's presence, to stop fighting over words such as such arguments are useless And they can ruin those who listen to them or hear them. Verse 15, so work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Somebody say correctly handle. Correctly handles the, the word or correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Now, skip to uh, another part of this same letter, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. He continues this thought, and he says, Remain faithful to what? To the things that you have been taught. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If we want to live a godly life, if we want to live a life that is God-honoring, if, we, if we're going to not fall prey to every wind of good idea, if we're going to be people who are anchored to the truth, to the historical recognition of what Jesus taught to who Jesus is, to his teachings that are revealing him both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, then we are going to be people who correctly handle the word that has been given to us. There'd be people who pick it up, who read it, who study it, who engage with you, who grow in our understanding of what it's saying and what it's not saying, to to be people who are willing to engage with the truth of the Scriptures, to be people who allow the Scriptures to speak and to inform our way of living, to submit to them and to walk them out. If we are going to be people who live a godly life, then we have to be people who are willing to put in the work, to be diligent with the Scriptures, to know what they say and know what they don't say to put them into practice. The question, though, is like, okay, I could read the Bible. That's, that's good. That's, that's, starting, that's a starting block. The question, though, is how do we study it? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, work hard. Or another translation says, be diligent. One, one says, work to show yourself a student of God's word. Oh, like, like being a student of God's word doesn't stop when you graduate high school or college. Being a student of God's word is a lifelong pursuit and endeavor. I've been reading the Bible and studying scripture most of my life at different levels and stages because as I've grown, I've learned. Can I be real, real honest with you? There are still things that I'm learning and discovering to this day. There's still things that I'm growing in my understanding and developing in. I want to be someone who does the good work of God and is living a godly life more at the age of 78 than when I was 28. I want my love for my neighbor to be more robust at age 85 than it was at age 35. I, I, I want it to, I want to age well in the things of God. I want want to age well into living out the practices that demonstrate and reveal and enhance my love for God, towards God, and towards the people of God. I, I want to be better as I get older than when I started. And that doesn't mean that you have to start young to finish well. It just means you have to start in order to finish well. So wherever you're at in your journey, maybe you're just now coming to following Jesus. You're just new to the Bible and understanding what, that's great. Just get started being a student of what God's Word says. Now the question is like, how how do we study the Bible? Now for many, many years, um, there's been kind of one main method that many people, followers of Jesus, have used over the years to study God's Word. It's, It's what's known as the inductive Bible study method the inductive Bible study method or the inductive study method really has three kind of main components to it. Observation, interpretation, and application. Somebody say observation. observation. Say interpretation observation. and application, right? Like these are kind of the three things. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to show you and teach you a kind of a method or a A segment-by-segment way that I personally employ this into my routine and my daily time as I read God's Word. We're going to show you, I'm going to show you how I do it. It's going to be real practical, but also very helpful for you as you are learning and growing in this same way. It's not that my way is perfect or great or better than anybody. It's just my way. So I can only teach you what I know and what I do. And so that's what I'm going to do Next Sunday. So make sure you are here and and be able to participate in that. But it really does kind of culminate around these three things, this observation, interpretation, application. Now, last week I told you on the Central Hub, on the sermon note card, um, that I have given you a list of resources week in and week out to help you kind of gain your own understanding, to know some resources to go in, some things to apply, some books to read, other things that have helped me in my journey of learning some of these things about the Bible. And and there is a link this week that I put in there towards what is known as the precept upon precept inductive study method. It's just a organization, a ministry, that has put together some helpful resources uh, helping people all over study the Bible using this inductive method. Now, this PDF, it's easy to read, kind of breaks each of these three down bit by bit, step by step, explains them, teaches you some, some helpful things, give you some guide rails so you don't, like, get way off wacky into some wrong teaching and thinking, right? Like, it's a great resource for you just this week to kind of familiarize yourself with and, and read it. And for those of you that, like, color-coded, organized, your OCD, like, you want to make sure, like, every highlight is, like, perfectly straight in the Bible, like, oh, they give you some great ways to mark up your Bible. And I do believe that in your Bible, you ought to mark it up right in the margins, highlight some stuff. I think that's an important thing for us to do. So those resources are available. We're going to talk more about observation, interpretation, and application next week. But that's kind of a general term that is used to study the Bible, to to read the Bible and learn, to grow, to, to understand in our interpretation. What I want to do in our time remaining today is give you seven kind of tips, seven thoughts, to help you interact, to read, to have some confidence in what you're reading. I'm going to share with you some tools, some resources, some things that are available to you to help you read the Bible, study the Bible, and understand the Bible. Does that sound good? Seven things. We're going to go through them fairly quickly. Number one is this: when we read the Bible, we need to understand that God is relational. He's relational; he's not just giving abstract instructions. The whole of the Bible is 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 the story of God revealing Himself to the people. It's a story. It's an understanding of of what it is, of who it is. One of the things that the writers of the Bible understood about their life and assumed were true of the audience that they were writing to, their audience, was that they understood that God, that, that they valued in their own world, in their own society, they valued relationship over ownership. Like there was a higher priority on relationship than ownership. In other words, it wasn't that you own such and such or that you worked and you did this activity or this job. No, no, no. It was that you were the son of so and so. That you belong to this tribe, to this people. That there are relationships at play in who you are. And that that it makes sense in that same way. In other words, you are who you are related to, not you are what you do. It's a relational context. Which leads you to to another thing that I think is really important to understand about the original writers of the Bible. Those who penned it and were writing to a specific audience in, in ancient times, they understood that it was tribal thinking or communal thinking more than individualistic thinking. We had more importance than me. When they read and they thought, they thought about what this does to impact us, Not just what does it mean to me. We have a hard time with this here in America. Because we are individuals. We are our own person. Who am I? And what do I want? And what do I think? And what do I feel? And we lose sight that The God of the Bible and the writers of scripture and the invitation of Jesus is not to be an individual that has been redeemed, but to be a part of a people that has been redeemed. It was tribal more than it was individualistic. It's understanding these things that God is relational. Think about it. We said last week that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it was written by men. There was a divine partnership. It, it is divinely inspired by God and written practically by men, by humans. There was a partnership between humanity and divinity in which we got this. It's relational. Think about Jesus. This book is about him. What are we celebrating at Christmas time? His advent, his arrival the first time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he became flesh, and dwelt among us. What was happening? The God, Jesus, left his divinity. He was fully God, and he became fully human. Right here. Think about your own life, who you are. Go back to the very beginning of creation, the Genesis narrative in the Garden of Eden. God formed out of the dirt the shape of a man. And he didn't become living right away. It wasn't until God breathed the ruach in Hebrew, the the ruach of God, the breath of God, that this formed dust bunny, this formed dust shape of a man through the sand now became a living being, which is so important for us to understand. Because what you were created from is what you are sustained by and you will one day return to. The animals were formed uh, and and they came from the ground and they were shaped in this way and they, they are sustained by the ground. Man, humanity, here we are. What our physical beings? We came from the ground. We are sustained by what we are fueled that comes from the ground. And one day our physical beings will return back into the ground. But your spirit is eternal. It came from the breath and the spirit of God. It is meant to be sustained by a relationship of a spiritual nature. We are feeding and engaging a spirit. We are sustained by the spirit of God. And one day, eternally, we will spend forever. Our spirits will return to eternity with God. The breath of God created humanity, but that same breath, the ruach of God, in the Greek is the word pneuma, which you see here in uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired, or literally, it is the breath of God that helps culminate in right. There's something active about these words. we talk more about this next week. But there's something in these words and these pages that that as we read them, the breath and the life and the air, the the activity of God is released and experienced and encountered in our own lives. It's the same word. The very breath of the Spirit of God that created humanity is the same activity that created this word, this this Bible, this understanding of the story of God that makes it living and active. Hebrews says, sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Why? Because God likes to interact in a personal way. God is a relational God. And the Bible is a collection of writings designed to help us be relational with God. His spirit, his life draws us in. God is a relational God. It's important to remember that as we read the stories and the truths and the things of God. Scripture. Here, here's the second thing that's really important when it comes to the Bible, and when we begin to study it, and we start our, our journey of studying Scripture, is that cultural context. Both those were cultural context, but then scriptural context. Both are really, really important. They're really, really important. I've, Think about the cultural context. Again, I've been t- told you earlier about how the writers of the Bible, they had a certain mindset and understanding of how they lived their life and how the people there lived their life, right? So, so when they say certain things, they're speaking to their, to their audience, right? So when the Bible talks about rain, there has never been a bad rain, according to, to Scripture. Why? Because rain was about survival, And their mindset was about rain. Rain produces something. It brings something. It nourishes the earth. It flourishes something. Rain is good. Rain wasn't an inconvenience that ruled, uh, that made their their ball game get canceled and they didn't get to have outdoor fun that day. We read rain and we're like, well, rain could be good and rain could be bad. No, they hear rain and they're like, that is survival. That is God providing for us. And understanding the cultural context matters. Right, we, we, If we were to write um, 10 years ago, uh, if I were to write to you and say, hey, it's really important that we take off the masks when we're around other people. 10 years ago, most of you would understand that metaphorically. It's like, hey, let's uncover and let's be real and be authentic. If I were to say that same statement 10 years later today, hey, when you're around people, take off your masks. Some of you would be like, I'm going to stone that guy. How dare we not wear our masks today? It means something different in the cultural moment, but when it was written, it meant something to them. When we're reading the Bible, it's important to realize it can't mean something to us today that it didn't mean to them. When we're understanding the principles and the purposes of what is written, there's a cultural context that's really, really important. Now, there are some tools available to you to help you understand and discover these things. I want you to write uh, these in fact, these websites are listed in our resource section online that I mentioned earlier. But if you're just kind of jotting notes off the site, write down this website, blueletterbible.com. blueletterbible.com, free website with free study tools. Study tools like concordances and search and uh, lexicons, which tell you the meaning of the original language, uh, Uh, commentaries that add language to it where you can cross-reference within that scripture. You pop it up, you're reading this one scripture, it'll show you if you turn on cross-reference all of the several other verses that you can go to to find that same thing. It's all free. You don't need a Bible college degree to study the Bible. There are resources available to you to use those. Some of your Bibles, your printed Bibles, have some of these same things already in them. Let me show you a picture of. Um, This is one of my study Bibles. Can we bring that picture up on the screen? Do we have that, guys? Thank you so much. This is a picture of uh, one of my my study Bibles. Uh, You can see that I write all over it. I highlight words. I trace words so they are bold and stand out. You got to be careful not to have too much caffeine when you do that because, like, you can like, trace the wrong thing if your hand gets too jittery. Uh, but you could uh, you write in I make notes into the margins that relate and link to something. This is 2 uh, Timothy, uh, I believe, 2, starting in verse 14. We read this verse, passage earlier, but this, these are some of my notes that I've written through the years on just those pages of what, we've, what we read earlier. I want to point out a couple things as best I can. You see how the Scripture is kind of broken up into two? sections and in the middle is a margin there in the middle in that margin of most bibles this is where they will list what's known as a cross-reference cross-reference is like a breadcrumb of topical scriptures Uh, you can see in verse let me see if i can see it here Uh, it's really hard i'm sitting here looking you're not even gonna see it either it doesn't matter like uh verse 14 there's at the end it's a, a word about words right And it's got a little letter, like Q. If I go to the center cross reference, I see chapter 2, verse 16, or verse 14, and I see that letter Q, there's a scripture reference right there. That if I go look up that scripture, it's going to refer back to that same theme or word in that passage of scripture, as listed in this passage of scripture. It's called a cross reference. I'm referencing a cross, another part of the Bible. Why is that important? Well, it's like a fun little trail of discovering new topics and ideas. That's one thing that's kind of fun about it. But here's why it's important. Because we always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. You always find it. It says it here. Well, where else does it talk about this in the Bible? There's something called a concordance. We don't use these very often, but a concordance is something that, um, where it lists based on keyword or a word Every reference that word is mentioned. So if I use the word lamb and I wanted to find a verse that talks about lambs, I could go to a concordance, look up the word lamb. It's in alphabetical order. I see the word lamb, and then it's going to show me all of the scripture references as it relates to the word lamb. Now, people are really smart, they've used their brain and technology. We don't really use concordances anymore. We call it search, it's a search bar. So if you have your Bible app or Bible.com and you type this, you click on the search bar and you type in the word lamb, L-A-M-B, hit enter, you're going to get all of the scriptures populated right there magically on the screen for you to understand all of the different verses that reference lamb. You could do that with salvation and forgiveness and Jesus and any word that you're trying to study and gain an understanding that maybe you see Here, I was reading this earlier, and in 2 Timothy 3, it says, studied to be a person who doesn't need to be ashamed. That word ashamed caught my attention this morning. I'm going to go back later this week, and I'm going to search out other places in Scripture where the word ashamed represents, because I want to see what God has to say about the shame that we often carry. I'm going to study that out later this week. How am I going to do that? I'm going to go to Bible.com, click search, and click ashamed. You mean you don't have all of those memorized, Pastor? Oh, man, I wish I did. But I don't. So I use these tools and resources to help me engage with the Scripture. And you can use those same free tools available to you to search and find and discover and understand more about what God's Word is saying and to make sure you're understanding the cultural context, the context don't just read one verse. Read all of the verses before and after it. Get a hold of the context of it. Here in, um, in my Bible, you can see that it says dealing with false teachers. That's a subject heading. It's kind of broken up, and so the next few verses have to do with that. So if you just were reading verse 14, well, you could read verse 14, but it might help you to read even after that to understand what the context of that verse was being said so that we understand what is being said in that context of the Scripture. These are just really practical ways for you when you read your Bible and you begin to practice studying Scripture on your own, that you understand what these are, what it helps you to do, and how you can begin to understand and encounter God in the Scriptures. Here's tip number three. Memorize. Memorize it. Memorize some Bible. You know, this whole year, we've had one theme verse. Mark 12, 29 through 31. We've kind of used this verse. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second commandment is just as important. You shall love your neighbor as you love your self. How many of you have memorized that verse? We've talked about it all year long. Put it on the back of t-shirts. Memorize the scripture. Why? Because Psalms 119 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. I hide it in my heart. You know why we don't just memorize it and keep it in our brains? Because if we memorize it and keep it in our brains, it becomes knowledge. And oftentimes, knowledge becomes arrogance in our own life. And we get puffed up because of our knowledge. But when I take God's word and I put it in my heart, now it's in my life system. It's in my heart. It's it's embedded. And so I begin to live it out. I apply it. I don't just know it. I live it. And when it's hidden in my heart, it's tucked away so that when the time comes and temptation comes or I'm wanting to live in a certain way that maybe doesn't honor God, there is something in the Rolodex of my heart that God can remind me this verse, this word, this thing. And it will be like, oh yeah, the Bible says X, Y, and Z and I'm able to now move forward. How did Jesus overcome the temptation of the devil? He said, it is, there were things that Jesus had memorized as a child that he had hidden in his heart. And when temptation showed up to live a life that wasn't the way that God would want him to live, he had the word of God to help him walk out the will of God because he had memorized it. they would memorized it. In fact, um, in early Jewish culture, the, the boys, when they were in school, would memorize the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, they would memorize it. It, It's part of how they learned, how they embedded it into their lives, how they studied the story of their God, understood what he had to say. When they wanted to communicate before the scripture was ever written down, when they wanted to communicate the truth about who this God is that they were following, you know what they did? Told stories about it. Hey, remember in Genesis, this creation happened. Remember when the flood came in Noah, the promise that God made. Hey, remember this, remember that. And when God wanted to communicate a new covenant with them, he told them a story over a meal known as the Passover meal. And they celebrate that Passover meal all the time because it tells the story of how God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, and led them into a new relationship covenant as the people of God. And they tell the story again and again over the meal because they've memorized it. They know it, and they tell it. Memorize it. It will help you in your study and understanding Scripture. Here's number four. Know the literary genre that you're reading. Now, I I told you last week there were seven types of literature, or genres of literature in the Bible. Seven different kinds. There's biography, there's poetic, there's laments, there are prescriptive, there are prophetic, there there are different types of literature in the Bible, and it's important that when you are reading these, that you understand the literature that you're reading, so it helps you understand is this giving me instruction or is it just explaining something? Is somebody telling a song that was written or are they trying to give us some doctrine and some truths that we really need to hold on to? We, we, it helps to know the, the, literary, the literary style that you're reading. It's important when you're studying to, 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 that, to take note of those things. N- number five, original language. Again, I said it last week. The Bible that we hold in our hands was not originally written in English. Three primary languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. I don't speak fluent Greek, Hebrew, nor Aramaic. I, I do good enough to speak English most days. And when they co- combined the Bible and they translated it into English, they were interpreting and using original language through scholars who understood it and know, to write down and help us understand so that we have a copy of Scripture that we can read. Well, It helps sometimes when you come across a passage when you're reading it to be able to go back and look at what originally in the original language they really were trying to say to better understand how we are to embrace it and interact with whatever truth it's communicating. Well, pastor, how do we do that? Well, there's two resources you can use at blueletterbible.org. They're available there as well for free. Something called a lexicon. There are Hebrew lexicons and Greek lexicons. All you have to do is search for an English word, and it will show you the Hebrew or Greek equivalent of what it's saying. Or you can search a scripture passage, and it'll show you a little button you can click on. Here's the word inspired. You click on expired. It will show you the original language, what that word is in the Greek, and what it might mean. There's another resource called a Bible Dictionary where it takes the original words and it expounds on the meaning of those words and how we are to understand them today. Two great resources to understand the original language so that we don't come and we think it means this, but really it meant this. And the only problem is, is it got lost in translation because we couldn't communicate in the same language, but it's a great resource to verify and deeper understand what it means in any one scripture. These resources, again, they're there for free that you get to hold on to and use in your own personal study time. Number six, important thing to understand and grab a hold of and how we approach Scripture, how we, how we handle the Word of God correctly, because there is an incorrect way to handle the Word of God. Here's here's tip, tip number six. Scripture is not a weapon against people. It's not. This is not meant to be a billy club to beat people, to manipulate people, to control people, to dominate people. This, Scripture, is not to be used as a weapon to win arguments against someone you don't like or agree with. If I wanted to take scripture and make it apply in any one argument, I know enough of the Bible, I could win almost every argument and have a scripture to back me up. But that's not actually how scripture is meant to be used. What what did Paul warn Timothy in Timothy chapter two? He says... Study to show yourself approved, someone who doesn't need to be ashamed, and avoid these arguments that are pointless. The goal of studying Scripture isn't to win arguments, but to better understand the story that we're in, in the story of God, so that we can live out and do good works. So that we can live a life that honors God. So the second Timothy chapter three says that we can use scripture, find it inspired and it can correct our incorrect behavior. It can instruct us on a better way to live our lives. It can show us where we're walking rightly and where we're not walking rightly. It can instruct our lives. It can equip us. It can help resource you to live a life that honors God. Have you ever felt overwhelmed at the thought of living a life that honors God? I know I have. Just this morning, I was up in my office, praying, worshiping. I was on my knees. Hands were up. Worship team was still practicing. I was singing a different song because I wanted to. It takes a lot of concentration, by the way, to do that. I was just worshiping, and I started to weep. I don't, I don't hear, hear me. I don't tell you this because I'm trying to puff. I'm just trying to be really transparent for a minute. That's why I'm telling you this. And I began to, to, to weep before the Lord. Because the weight of communicating God's word is often heavy. There are some strict warnings in this book about People like me. That if we lead one astray, it's better that we have a mill tied around our neck and thrown into the sea. That we are gonna be judged, people who communicate God's word, that we are gonna be judged more strictly. Stakes are high. And I was up there just praying before the Lord, feeling completely inadequate. But it's in those moments of humility that I recognize God's grace shows up too. Because he, he we read it, because we say he gives you more grace. Friends, when we recognize what scripture is here to help equip us to do, why do I have confidence to stand up and deliver this? Because I've studied this, and I know what it says, and I believe what it says. I've been transformed by what it says, and I'm still learning, and I'm still growing, and I'm still walking in it, but I can have some confidence in it because I've seen it here. It's written here. It's known here. I understand God. I know God as a relation of God because I've encountered him through these pages and through these truths. So there is an element of confidence to stand before you, but it's It's a confidence because I understand that it has equipped me to do what my assignment is. You have a different assignment in your life. And the same word of God wants to equip you in the assignment that he has for you. But it requires you and I to put in the work, to put into practice, to to work in the scriptures so that we can live out the scriptures. This is what we're here to do. Number seven. Here's the last thought. When it comes to how do we study the Bible well, how do we do this well, here's number seven. It's a big picture. Keep the big picture in mind. What's the big picture? One word. One man. Jesus. Yahweh. It's about him from the table of content to maps. It's about him. For those of you that haven't held the paper Bible in a long time, there's always maps at the end and a table of contents in the beginning. This whole thing is one unified story, not about you, not about America, about Jesus. It's about him. And when we lose sight of that picture, we can get a lot of things wrong. Listen how Mark Clark in his book, The Problem of Jesus, how he communicates this. He says, we face a similar temptation. We must do the work of locating Jesus in his setting so that we don't make the mistake of adapting him into our setting. Jesus was not a 21st century middle-class, white, North American. Nor was he a rural Chinese farmer or a new age guru. He was not a communist. He was not a capitalist. Nor a social justice warrior. He was not a Democrat or a Republican, a liberal or a conservative. He was a first century Galilean Jew who spoke and lived like his contemporaries but with an explosive message for all people in every time and place, including you and me. Friends, the Bible was not written to you and to me, but it is for you and it is for me. And when we practice studying and reading and just having a daily pattern, that's all I mean by practice, a daily pattern of reading the Bible, beginning to learn how to study the Bible, so that we don't need to be ashamed in our world and ashamed for what we believe. We, when we say we believe in Jesus, we actually know what that means and what it doesn't mean. We don't have to be ashamed of those things, but we can stand with confidence because we have discovered some things. We, we've been a student who doesn't need to be ashamed, but we've studied and we're diligent in these things. And when you get into this book, you will notice one big idea. Jesus. 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 Would you stand with me as we come to a moment of conclusion and response? If you are participating in communion today, you can grab your communion elements. And if you've chosen not to participate, that's quite okay. It's available if you'd like it. Can grab these elements and go ahead and kind of open up the top layer. It's got the little wafer on it and the bottom has the, the juice. You can kind of open those up. Just if you wouldn't mind holding them open and ready in your hand. We'll all partake in a moment and then at the end of our time when when you are dismissed, um, our hosts will be at the door and they'll collect the empty cups. So. But just hold on to them for a minute. I said earlier that when God wanted his people to begin to understand the story of him, to get to know his character, his conduct, his his heart. He invited them to a meal known as Passover. They would begin to tell the story of God's power to redeem and rescue his people out of slavery, out of that bondage, and to move into a promised land. When Jesus came on the scene, he came to another meal used some bread and some juice some wine to tell another story a continuation of the same story a 2.0 version of the original and he helped them understand that the old or the original story of Passover was pointing to him as the son of God savior the spotless lamb and it was around this meal that he would point to a, a, a new covenant a new relationship a new invitation that he was inviting his followers into from now until the end and they would come and they would tell a story that his, the bread Jesus said was representative of his body that would be broken the wine represented his blood that would be poured out for the forgiveness of sin. He would be the one sacrifice for all. Making a way for us to have a relationship with his God. His creator of all. And as Jesus gave them this new meal, reminds us each day Time that we come together as the people of God of the same meal. We call it communion. It's been called lots of names the Lord's Supper. One name is Eucharist. The word Eucharist simply means giving thanks. We just celebrated a holiday here in America. We called it Thanksgiving. Every Sunday we come and end our time at the table to partake of the Eucharist to give thanks to Jesus for what he's done for us and what he invites us into. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for just a minute? Would you just, in this moment, just whisper the words aloud, thank you, Jesus. Would you do that? Let's do it. Thank you, Jesus. Again, thank you, Jesus we come to give you thanks for your body that was broken so ours could be made whole for your blood that was poured out to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions it's not by works that we've done but by works that Christ has done that we can by faith receive of this new covenant work this invitation to come to you directly and we're grateful for it and it's our worship commitment to be your people today. When you're ready, go ahead and take the wafer, which is the bread. And when you're ready, the juice right after. Now, if you would allow me to pray a blessing over us today. Father, we thank you that you're here with us today. Lord, we want to discover Jesus. We want to discover you. We want to learn more about you and be good students of those things. And Lord, one way that we can do that is just simply to open and begin to read the scriptures. Lord, as we do that this week, would you help us have ears to hear, eyes to see. May our hearts be ready to study and grow in our knowledge. Lord, I pray a blessing today over your people. Would you bless us and keep us. Would you make your face shine on us and be gracious to us? Would you lift your countenance towards us and give us your peace, your shalom? And everywhere we go this week, may we realize and remember that we are radically loved by you, our Father in heaven. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, you're, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.